Well, Paula Jonathan, how we doing, buddy? Doing pretty well. Doing pretty well. How uh, how was your homily this week? Oh, it was pretty good. Uh, I uh, got to preach today on Halloween and said nothing about it. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, this is a conversation for a different day, but how how Halloween has become the holiday. Yeah, and I got to tell you, so after Mass, someone did ask me about Halloween and whether or not Catholics should celebrate it, and <laughs> I did give them a good, like, I think an answer that you would be proud of, you know? Um, but I decided to not be that kind of person or preacher that just sort of stands up on the day of a holiday and be like, you know what? I'm going to ignore all the readings today and just talk about what I think is important. <laughs> and <Good>. so, <laughs> yeah, I I can imagine some preachers doing that where they just talk about what they think is important. You know, is their opinions about like Halloween or something? Mm-hmm. Um, no, but my, my homily was good. I, uh, I had a Spanish mass today. I've been a little disappointed that I haven't had a chance to preach in, uh, in both English and Spanish recently. So, um, this week was not English. It was just Spanish and it was fine. It was good. I got some good feedback afterwards. Um, my primary focus, uh, actually ended up being a little bit about what we talked about last week, which was how any law that isn't subordinated to this fundamental law of the love of God and Mm -hmm. the love of neighbor if there's any law that exists, whether human or ecclesial, uh, that isn't subordinated to that love, then that law ultimately is not for our good. Yeah. You know? No, I like that. Um, and so I was, I was being a little bit provocative, especially when I started talking about laws of the church. But then I to, to bring it home for people in the congregation, I even said, like, you know, I'm talking about myself as a priest. You know, if there are laws that I impose on the people that aren't really, like, helping them grow in love of God and love of their neighbor— but then I said, like, for you in the congregation, you know, you know, in your homes, what kind of laws do you impose on your children? You know, and are they laws that are actually helping them grow in love of their neighbor and love of God? And if not, then maybe it's just an obsession that you have with power, you know, Ooh. or something. Um, so I preached in that vein, which I think it ended up being really good, um, I think. And so um, it was it was it was in the back of my mind the whole time what you were saying last week about you know, the way that they paired these reading readings together was a little bit unfortunate, you know, putting the the Shema in the first reading and in the gospel where it's like, well, what more are we going to do with this? You know? Um, but yeah, I think focusing on how like all law should be subordinated to that ultimate law of God and neighbor, like that's a really good, that's a good vein to go down. So I preached on that for a while. Nice. Nice. Yeah. I like that. I was telling somebody uh, earlier this week that after our conversation, it kind of came up again that I was lamenting the fact that they cut off they cut that line off of uh off of that reading from from the old testament oh yeah remind me what was the line that they cut it uh, i don't know it exactly but they it was basically and keep saying these things teach them to your children never let them be uh yeah keep them on your lips always that kind of thing right right okay yeah yeah, instead they just left it sort of flat, you know, mm-hmm. like this is the this is the law, right? But there wasn't that insistence on repeating it, you know, generation after generation. Yeah, for yeah. sure, for sure. Um, no, good. And, and you know, I think I've, another part of this for me that what's important is that I, the longer I am, and I've only been a priest for a year, and I think one of the things that's important for me is like learning to realize that there are some people who get really ensnared by the law, like where the law becomes very restrictive. And so I, I made a point in my homily to talk about how a lot of Jesus's ministry with the Pharisees and scribes was precisely on this point, how the law, rather than liberating, uh, became ensnaring, you know, and if the law is supposed to be an expression of love of God and neighbor, then that should be really liberating. And there's a line in Deuteronomy uh, from the first reading today that I thought was really beautiful was that all the statutes and ordinances that Moses proposes to the people are for the sake of their happiness. 
and just started thinking about that about how like how how many of us aren't happy you know when we hear all of the laws that we have to follow mm-hmm. and it's like that either says something about the way that we receive the law or even the way that we communicate it maybe we're not communicating in a way that's actually helping people experience like felicity in god you know or freedom in god um so anyway just to examine that yeah. in ourselves you know even pope benedict put that in his introduction to christianity book um, so I can't remember exactly what it was, um, uh, but it was something to that effect. Like if we just allow the, the law to become the thing that consumes us, then we miss the spirit of what That's Jesus right. is actually trying to, to teach. That's right. That's right. And I didn't go into this in the homily itself just because it wasn't in the second reading, but the second reading could have easily been, and I think it might've been a better second reading for, for that pairing of the Deuteronomy and the reading from Mark, it could have been St. Paul talking about how we're no longer under the law, but we have the spirit, you right. know, and then where the right. spirit of God is, there is freedom. And I think it's a beautiful way of trying to get to the point of how the law in the Old Testament is fulfilled in Christ is that we're no longer slaves to the Torah, but we live in the spirit, you know. And I think that was missing from the from the triptych of readings, but I, I think it was sort of undergirding what I was preaching on, you know, mm-hmm. how to how to live the law of freedom, you know, in the spirit. Very cool. Yeah. No, it was good. It was good. Um, what are you thinking about for, for this upcoming week? We have this uh, this little cake in the first reading that, that makes me chuckle every time I read it, you know, with this very silly experience of the widow with Elijah of Elijah saying, well, you know, make me some food first. And That's right. <laughs> and then you can die. And then you can just go off and, you know, die with your son. Yeah, you know, um, I wonder about that often sometimes, like, often sometimes. Okay, anyway, I wonder about that. <laughs> um, uh, you know, a lot of that, the Old Testament, like, context and references and, you know, all of that stuff can very much get lost on us. I wonder if this is, I mean, this is a very serious um, theme, right? But I, I wonder if this is meant to be read sort of tongue-in-cheek. Or I wonder mm. if it's meant to be, because, re- you know, th- in a similar way to when Jesus speaks in, par- in parables, they're often ridiculous, like over-the-top yeah. stories that people then would have recognized as, oh, he's telling us a story. He's not actually telling us how to be a good farmer or whatever. Right, right, right. The and hyperbole so I won- can be lost on us, yeah. Exactly. I wonder if so- something similar is happening here. Or, on the other hand, I think it's also possible that this, you know... Uh, I, I hate to say this about the scriptures, but like this this uh, trope, if you will, has just become so overused that we see, you know, we see it as a little saccharine or something like that. It's not, it doesn't have its punch or the bite that it once right. had. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so yeah, yeah, totally. So you, you see that with like the widow, like that, that becoming kind of a trope. It's just sort of giving. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like if you think, if you think about it, like this, this rando coming up <laughs> is saying, please give me water to drink. Please give me some food. And she says, bro, I got nothing right right now. Right. I was going to go prepare the last meal that me and my son will eat. Right. Right. And he says, and he tells her, do not be afraid. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you help yeah. me <laughs> again, this is kind of where it breaks down for us modern readers. Like if you help me, then the Lord will help you kind of a thing, which is not right. the gospel, right? But right. it's getting at this at this idea of trusting in the Lord that even to the to the to the extreme, right? Even to your last meal, are you going to trust in the Lord or are you going to fill your own belly? Yeah. Yeah, okay, so I I didn't I hadn't been reading it that way. I mean, so try, trying to pair it with the gospel, I wasn't thinking in terms of like 
Well, maybe, maybe you're right. Like the first fruits that we give to God, you know, are we going to satisfy our needs before giving to the Lord or are we going to give God from the first fruits? Mm-hmm. Like that's certainly a way of reading that. And I guess, I guess that, that does pair well with the gospel, you know, the widow's might that she's giving, you know, from her poverty, she gives everything, you know? Um, it's not that she's giving her first fruits. She's actually giving everything that she has, uh, to the Lord. So like, I guess both of those do fit well within that, that lens of what you're saying, which is how we can read, uh, oh, sorry, how we can learn from the witness of both the widow in the gospel and the widow in the first reading. They're both widows and they're both giving from their poverty for the sake of giving God what's best first, you know, both in Elijah, who's the prophet. And then Jesus as the fulfillment of Elijah as the prophet of God, like giving him his, her first fruits, you know? Um, yeah, how I like you, that. How do you read it? I guess so. That's one way of reading it for sure. I think the other way of reading it uh, that may be trying to helpful in the gospel is trying to contrast again. Like I hate to keep going back at this, but like, what is Jesus actually saying to the Pharisees? Like he's speaking, like he's making a point to the Pharisees, you know, and not just about like complete generosity. So it's a story about generosity. But what is the lesson for the Pharisees? Is it mm-hmm. that they're not being generous enough? Is that the is that the takeaway? Like that that are not being generous enough or is it about their hypocrisy? Like, I mean, he's talking about their long robes, about their place in marketplaces and whatever. He's not talking about their tithing. You know, he's talking about their place of honor in banquets. You know what I mean? Like that's how this gospel begins. Sure. But I don't, sure. How would you see it? Yeah. I mean, I guess I'd have to look at the broader context of what Mark is, of what, of where Mark places this. The crowds were to assume that's the, uh, the Pharisees. Uh, yeah, you're right. You're right. He doesn't specify the Pharisees, but it's the crowds, you know, and well, the scribes who go around in long robes, yeah. you know, in greetings and marketplaces and seeking honor in synagogue, places of honor. Um, yeah, like there's I, something here about honor and not just about generosity. I guess yeah, is my no, point. absolutely. And, you know, I think that's a conversation that, that probably needs to happen more often, um, that we don't like, maybe I'm projecting here. <laughs> maybe I just don't like to have it where we, you know, on the one hand, we have to take this, um, uh, this, this take of poverty, right, of giving all that we have and not holding anything back as, in some sense, being quite literal. <laughs> like Jesus right. does want us to empty of ourselves completely. Um, but I think there is a, sp- I mean, there has to be a spiritual dimension to it as well, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and I think, mm-hmm. I think that's what you're getting at, that yes, our, our f- m- maybe we could say our physical um uh wealth in some ways mirrors our spiritual wealth yeah uh, yeah and not in the good way <laughs> uh like a spiritual wealth is by uh, is usually comes from giving things up and so maybe right. flipping them on their heads like that i mean that's a good way to to think about it yeah yeah actually um, well uh, i'm interested in maybe throwing this at you and seeing how you feel about it uh so what one way of preaching these readings again, skipping Hebrews for a moment, just because I think Hebrews is doing its own thing these weeks. But like in the first reading and in the gospel, there's a widow Uh, and the widow we can connect together there for sure. But even within the gospel, there's a reference to two widows. There's the widow who gives her her two coins. But even when Jesus is speaking in the context of the scribes, which is what I'm trying to drive at is like, how does this fit within the context of his, of his, uh, of his uh, denouncing the scribes? He does say, the scribes devour the houses of widows and as a pretext recite lengthy prayers. Hmm. Like I'm, I'm trying to figure out what that means. Like, hmm. 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's a good, that's a interesting thought. You know, it, yeah, I wonder if there was he was kind of planning that in a sense to say that and then sit down opposite the treasury, where he could likely find a poor widow. Right. Um, I guess counting on her to put in from her small, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm, counting on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, but also think about think about the switch, right? Jesus said to the crowds, beware of this, that, and the other. Calling his disciples to himself, he said to them. Hmm. So is he still talking to the crowds as well? Or is this a side conversation with his disciples? Does that matter? About, about the, uh, speaking about at the treasury, right? Speaking about the, the poor widow that giving her two coins. Yeah. Um, no, yeah, that's good. I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Like, I don't want to go too far afield in my speculation about what, like, how to make this more complicated than it should be. It could just be that we could preach on generosity, right? Like, that could just be it. I just find that homilies about generosity tend to fall flat for me uh, because we often talk about giving everything, giving everything, but really not parsing out what that means. Like, yeah. how, how, how do you give everything? What does that, what does that entail? Yeah. yeah, no, I think that's a really good point. And I, I think it may be worth going into because giving everything for a college student is going to look very different from giving right. everything as a mother of, well, any children, <laughs> right? Uh, you know, a, a, a father and a mother are not going to sell, we've talked about this before, they're not going to up and sell their, their house and give it to the poor and say, sorry, kids, you know, this is what Jesus wanted us to do, so good luck. Right, um, right. Like, yeah, so I think there is something that is worth considering on how, and that's the whole if I may be so bold, uh, I think that's the whole point of talking and praying and finding vocation. Mm. Uh, because how you and I give all of ourselves is not the same way that somebody who is not a priest <laughs> is going to give, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm, and so I think mm-hmm. that's, we have, I think, lost that in some ways uh, in, I don't know when it started, but um, yeah, that's something interesting to think about. Um, yeah, yeah. No, that's good. That's good. So like there's a homily there for me for sure, you know, about what does it mean to give everything? Like if we can preach both, both the first reading and the gospel about total generosity and giving, how that needs to look different. Now here, here's a little nuance that I think may be interesting too, is that there's a contrast between the scribes and the verb used here is devour. And Uh then how he describes that the widow contributed. And I wonder oftentimes when we preach from the pulpit that people need to be more generous and we're seeking to devour from the people their wealth instead of just allowing them to contribute. Like there's a real delicacy there in the body of Christ where it's like, I almost want to guilt people into giving so that I can devour their wealth rather than saying, I'm just presenting you with the urgency so that you can contribute in your freedom. Like, is that the difference? Mm. You know, Mm, that's interesting. I just had a crazy thought. What's up? Bear with me. Are you ready for this? Yeah, yeah. They devour the houses of widows. And, okay, and as a pretext, recite lengthy prayers. What did Elijah do in the first reading? <laughs> he, t- he totally devoured that cake. <laughs> he, he t- well, he took the last of her food. And without yeah. the grace of God, she wouldn't have had anything left. But, and so mm. I, this could be an interesting way that to read this, this first part of the gospel is that uh, the point isn't, you know, devouring this, that, or the other. Um, the point is, are we putting the Lord first and allowing that kind of what we were talking about last week? Is this the the context, the pretext, the real pretext um, with which we we 
live our lives and, and interact mm-hmm. with people. Mm-hmm. Um, not to go around eating the last food of <laughs> of people, but anyway, I'm wondering if Jesus is is referencing that that story from Elijah. Yeah, about the saying, devouring. Yeah, yeah and like, saying you, Elijah. you guys are missing what he had. What, what did he have that they don't have? What are you saying? Uh, he carried the spirit of the Lord with him. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so he, yeah, exactly. So like he went and he consumed what they had, what she had, she, and she offered it freely, but she wasn't left wanting. Whereas the scribes come devour the houses of widows and leave them completely. So maybe that's an interesting way, uh, a a wordplay, right? Consume versus devour. Yeah. Yeah. And so like they come and devour and it's actually a really good, I think, I think it's fruit for examination for myself is like, you know, if I'm eliciting generosity in others, am I just seeking to devour their coffers, you know, and their wealth? Or am I am I okay as a priest to allow others to contribute generously from their own conscience? Or do I feel a certain obligation to manipulate them to give more, mm-hmm. you know? Um, you know, seeking to devour their wealth on the pretext of it being for God's will, you know? And I think there's a difference. That word pretext still stands out to me. I'm not sure exactly what it means, but... Like the spirit of the Lord in Elijah versus the pretext of holiness, you know, from yeah. the scribes. Well, yeah. I mean, it was a, it was a, um, who was it? Elijah's sons that were terrible, Phineas and Hophni. Uh, oh, no, no. That, yeah, that's not Elijah's sons. Elijah didn't have sons. That's, oh, that's uh, right. yeah. yeah. Anyway. Anyway. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, well, but I think that that's, this is how we can make context of our second reading from Hebrews. If we think about this Eucharistically. You know, how, mm-hmm. how do we, how do we consume the body of Christ? Is mm. it just this, some, is it just this thing to devour that we, mm. that we kind of collect? Uh, no, it was, it happened this one sacrifice once to take away the sins of many. Uh, right. Which could be, you know, probably is used by Protestants to talk, you know, to make fun of us Catholics for doing this every week. Um, but this re-presentation of of this one sacrifice, I think is, is a way of helping us to keep in mind that this is not something that we just, that we just eat willy nilly, <laughs> but right, that we have devouring. to be properly, yeah. yeah, we have to be properly disposed to, are we also willing to give of our entire selves just as Jesus, the high priest gave of his own blood, gave of him, of himself. Right. Right. No. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Um, I mean, the attitude certainly in coming to receive communion oftentimes is that of devouring, you know, mm-hmm. coming to just take what is rightfully mine. Yeah, I get this. I deserve this. Right, right. You know, I got to tell you, you know, just in the last uh, few moments we have here, I, I, I'm really struck, especially like living at a parish uh, by, and I've heard this from some people, is that, you know, from the pulpit, they hear too often that we need them to give us money. Um, and just thinking a lot about that in this context of devouring versus contributing is that, I don't think that as a priest, I have a right to devour the money of the people. Um, but I do need to exhort them spiritually to contribute everything that they have. Mm-hmm. But I can't, I can't, I can't assault their freedom in giving that and saying that I have a right to devour it. You know what I mean? Like there has yeah. to be this delicate balance of allowing them to be generous rather than saying that I'm entitled to their, to their wealth. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's a, there's a, um, a sad reality that's been, that we've been living with recently. It's like, okay, a lot of churches are struggling. Right, right. You know, and this is this is true in many, many places, right? Like we're, you know, the priest shortage, the the 
people are just not going to church, like all this thing, all these things. And that's our response, telling people that they need to give more money. Yeah, I don't like like that. (laughs) If if the sense of the people, and this is going to sound terrible, I realize, if the sense of the people is that this parish is no longer sustainable, it's like, that's a hard reality, but one that we've, you know, we've dug our own grave at that point. Right, right. Um, Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. So do we, do we live with that or do we, or do we start to devour the resources just to limp along? Yeah. I don't know. And I I I hate to use that language just because I think it's problematic, but. No, but I think, so for me, spirit, like as a spiritual phenomenon here in the gospel, and I'll just, this will be my parting thought is just, I think too often from the pulpit, we talk about the obligation to tithe and. And instead of instead of eliciting generosity in others by encouraging them to consider, you know, contributing uh, from their wealth, mm-hmm. instead of saying you have an obligation to me, like you right. owe me money, right. you know what I mean? Right. This is your job. Right. Right. And then as a pretext, you know, offer the Eucharist or something. Mm-hmm. Boom. There it is. And so I just anyway, I think there's something really delicate there that's really important, you know, especially post COVID. Like there's yeah. a lot there. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Cool, also, I just realized that there's been a lot of newsworthy articles uh, about communion and who is worthy, and I did not mean to intend any of that with what I just said about that. <laughs> so. Oh yeah, no, no, and I didn't get that. I didn't get that either. I didn't get that either. I just want to um, say for our listener out there that that wasn't supposed to be a political <laughs> yeah. statement. Yeah. No. No. Good. I'm glad you said that. I'm glad you said that. Cool, buddy. All right, man. Till next time. All right, pal.